What's up, everyone? Coach Casey here with the Parisi Speed School, back with another Parisi podcast episode. This week, I am joined by Seth Foreman. Seth Foreman is someone we know in the Parisi Network. He's one of our consultants. He's a business owner. He's an educator for a couple different product companies. And one thing that I really, really respect about Seth and have enjoyed in our conversations is that Seth has a very unique skill in taking research, literature in the in the industry and making it applicable and understandable. So that's what we really center this conversation around. Seth and I talk about how to understand research, why it's important for coaches to understand and and digest research in the industry. And it's a really good conversation. Seth brings a lot of life to it. Um, We probably will do a part two of this conversation because I feel like we left a lot on the table, but it's a phenomenal time with Seth. I hope you guys enjoy this. Before we dive into the episode, though, I wanted to remind you that we do have our spring semester of the Parisi Sports Performance Mentorship closing this week. So when you're hearing this right now, it's hopefully uh, Monday, February 28th when this podcast drops. We have a couple more days left for our enrollment in the Sports Performance Mentorship. This is a phenomenal 12-week program outlined with different VIP guests that are going to be joining us every week. Uh, Bill Parisi joins us three times over the course of the mentorship, if not more. Um, And we just have an amazing array of content ranging from fascia science, linear speed programming strategies, and then diving into theory and more programming as it relates to strength training for speed and multi-directional speed. Just a lot of speed. I mean, it's the Parisi Speed School. It's their sports performance mentorship. A lot of speed training talk, but more importantly, how to apply that speed training theory in your coaching practice. So if you're interested in learning more about the mentorship, please check out the show notes. We'll have a link to that Uh, mentorship landing page, as well as the registration link if you want to join us. So 12 weeks this spring, it's phenomenal. We do only run this twice a year and we have limited spots. So check it out. It's worth your time. And without further ado, here is Seth Foreman on the other side of this cool little jingle that's about to play. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Parisi Podcast. Very special guest today. I don't say that with everyone. Go back and listen to the old pods if you don't believe me. Very special guest. Seth Foreman. Seth, I'm going to let you do your own introductions. I'm actually, I've struck out on the last two that I've done. I've just missed like very key things on uh, our our guest's behalf. So I'm going to let you do the introductions, but Seth Foreman's our guest today. Seth, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Um, Yeah, I hate doing introductions of myself. Do you want me to try? I'll try. I can't can't stand doing it, but I'm going to do it and I'll do it anyway. Um, just to just to give some background, we'll get some background on on what I've been doing, and and that'll be good. So, yep, um, Seth Foreman. I have a master's degree in exercise science, focused in strength and conditioning from Springfield College. That was way back in the day, uh, and then from there, I went down to IMG Academies, where I was working with Pete Bomarito, Lauren Seagrave, Dave Donatucci, a whole bunch of uh, coaches who mentored me while I was there. And that was an amazing experience, which led to me opening my own brick and mortar facility back up here uh, in the Northeast in Connecticut. And I opened that in 2004 and had that brick and mortar through 2018. So 14 years with the brick and mortar. And my career kind of evolved during that time um, working with athletes, working with the general public, working with the parents of the athletes. Um, some of those parents of athletes, I, st- I started working with like 14 years ago, 15 years ago, and I still work with them now. So it's interesting The athletes like have a cycle, right? Cause you can only 
be an athlete for for so long and then you know you you move on so the parents are the ones who kind of stick uh for a long period of time which was was interesting um but from there i became i met uh eric k who's the owner of kzen vector which is a, an equipment company provides this uh uh, kind of dial in resistance change with with tubing and has a way that you can hook any kind of an accessory you want onto it so a lot of versatility in the ways that you can use that product and i did some primary research on that that product with emg which was really cool and we'll, we'll probably be able to get into during this podcast a little bit um, but from there i became the head of education at that company uh, i met bill parisi a couple of years ago now um before the pandemic had hit like literally one month before the pandemic had hit and um you know we we hit it off pretty well like he he liked the the knowledge the the education the stuff i was bringing to the table with the product and then got into the parisi network side and the fascia training side so connective tissue was always a huge part of of my process in training because at IMG, we had worked with uh, the athletic trainers, massage therapists would come down and work with us during the NFL combine prep. And we got to see kind of how do these different disciplines work together? And how do these different modalities uh, help one another for the performance of the athletes? So I've been working side by side with the massage therapists for almost 20 years now. And I'm actually in massage therapy school myself right now oh nice and yeah so i'm i'm working through that uh which i'll be done with in september and that's been been an awesome experience another way to kind of build on top of the tools that i have to uh to help athletes train so that's kind of like the uh, i don't know overview of of what i've been up to it it lets people know that you're just not like you're not like me some schmuck on the other you're like the, you're the guy like you're the brain i'm the witty uh like you're batman i'm robin i'll do that i'll do that yeah, i wouldn't no totally unless yeah, you want to go I say like, it that way but yeah oh totally no way i'm just some some schmuck um no, you know, no. i work with the smart people but i i like to think that I'm smart enough to know that I know nothing and to ask good questions, which has put me on this podcast. Um, and in our conversations that we've had in, in various formats here, one thing that's always stood out, Seth, with you is that it's you have this really good ability to take the like the, the research, the literature, and even though it's it's published literature, and we can talk about this, I'm sure, in depth here in a couple of minutes, but you can take it and you can dissolve it and pull out what is pertinent and what is useful to you as a trainer with the population you work with. And that skill in this industry, I think it was brought up on a call we were on earlier this week, like trainers, a lot of times, and it's, I don't think it's necessarily their fault. I don't want to say have people think it's like that, but if someone, like, if you told me to do something, I'd be like, yeah, like Seth's a smart guy. Like if he's doing, he's seeing results with it, it's got to, it's going to be good. Right. But I, I, I might not necessarily put my own filter on it and say like, whoa, is that information useful? Does it apply to what I'm trying to do? Does it apply to the client's base that I work with? And that skill for a lot of trainers and sports performance coaches, I feel has dissolved over the last decade with the rise of social media, the ability for, um, 
industry experts, industry veterans, maybe that aren't necessarily quote unquote experts, but veterans of the industry to get their name and their information out into the public, it has skewed some of the, I'll say the bandwidth uh, or the brain width of, of the profession itself. So that's really what I wanted to focus on with today's podcast. I'm sure we will go through a ton of different tangents along the way, but for those listening, um, I'm not sure what the clickbaity title is going to be of this podcast, but it uh, is really going to come down to just talking research, how to understand it, how to put the BS meter on it. Um, and then, you know, like, I think one thing I'd really like to hear from your perspective, Seth, is like, if you're a trainer, a young trainer, even if you're a veteran trainer, you're like, yeah, you know, I, sh- I really should check out more quality research, research sources, like, what are those sources? And then how, like, what do you, what you look for, right? Like, what's the red flag? What's not a red flag? Like, what, is it just, is it really as easy as skipping to the, the conclusion, like read the abstract and then read the conclusion and, and the practical application and like hope that that's close enough, you know? So um, those are kind of the overviews, but where I would like to start, Seth, unless you have a specific starting point you'd like to touch on, um, you know, I, I would like to just hear from you, like in today's world, in your stance on this, how important is staying up with the latest research? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think staying up with the latest research is really important. And the reason I think that is because the tools that we have technologically have advanced so much, and they're advancing so fast that we're getting new insights, new observations into the human body, observations we couldn't make before, right? So that's extremely important because the way that we're set up with education, um, and this is really kind of across the planet now, um, the Western approach to thinking is really a reductionist approach. And what I mean by that is like, if you open up any anatomy book, right, you're going to see every individual muscle, its origin, its insertion, its particular action, it within itself. But we don't really get a good integrated idea how does that muscle really function during movement? What is really going on when you need to stabilize the shoulder, right? We could say the teres minor is going to be helpful in external rotation of the shoulder. Okay, well, that's nice. Um, What does it do when we're going into extension during the arm action or sprinting? And why does it do it? Like we're going to start getting answers on these types of questions because we're getting a better ability to look into the body. So I think there are two things that are important for keeping up with primary research. One is primary research is going to be the source, the source of an original thought that you can place into a a structure, more of like how you organize knowledge for yourself and what you're doing for your clients. Uh, this is an extremely important thing to organize knowledge and doing it by secondary sources. Like if I just read some articles um, written by somebody who referenced some articles, I'm getting their opinion on what that article is giving them. Right. But that's not for me. I'm like, no, I need to look at the source and to go to, to one of your earlier questions. If I jump to the conclusion or if I jump to the discussion, is that enough? Or the abstract of an article, is, is that enough? Well, 
I always like to say like a little bit of knowledge is dangerous, right? Sure, like if you don't really know, yeah, you, if you don't really know the underlying concepts, then you can't navigate through what the, what the findings of the article are, right? You can't really say like, okay, well, this, this article showed that. And then you look back at the methods that they used and you're like, they had one subject. Uh, okay, well, you know, I mean, how how much support to an idea or concept am I going to get out of trying this on one subject? And you might find that the the methods were were not that good in the research design, right? And you're like, okay, well, this was a person who has no training history. You and I talked about this one before, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're looking at people who have zero training history. Like, what are the underlying mechanisms to improve what they're doing. It doesn't matter what you do. I don't need primary research for this, right? Like you could get the person to stand up and sit down off of the couch a number of times and all of a sudden they're better at what they're doing because they've done nothing. Yeah. So the the other issue with um with the the primary research, one thing that you want to look into as as an issue with the primary research is um I almost kind of lost my train of thought here for a second, but. Um, but you're good because I, I actually want to dip back into something you said really quick, yeah. because I think this is something okay. that is plaguing the industry. And it's, it's what you said it perfectly, where if I read an article, you're reading someone's opinion, right? Like if mm -hmm. someone comes to the Parisi Speed School, someone's listening to the Parisi Podcast, like they're, they're getting our opinion. And I think it's really important when you're reading an article or you're listening to a podcast and someone's like interpreting quote unquote, interpreting data research, um, that you are getting their own bias, right? Like you're going to get their own training bias, thought bias. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You just have to understand that if I'm talking to you and you are sports performance to the max, you're like, yep, this is the methodology I use when I train my NFL guys, my pro athletes are doing this, that, and the other thing. And I'm over here on the other side of the screen and I train 45 year old moms and dads, you know, like your bias is is fine but it just doesn't necessarily apply to maybe what i'm doing but because you know you're a smart guy like i believe and it's like your opinion i'm like yeah this is totally good but what you said about going to the source that's what i that next step like that one more is just it's that's non-existent right like whether it's the person isn't actually citing the research correctly which is a bummer but it's just the and research is so accessible like go to google scholar you can find mm -hmm. anything right there's going to be a pdf of, of almost anything online or the nsca puts out publications quarterly monthly in in your membership like it's ridiculously accessible um but i didn't want to gloss over that fact because i thought that's like a just, just a really important piece for a sports performance coach to really understand is that the article you read is good it's educational but it can't be the only piece of your education you've got to go one more and you've got to look at the source behind the article the source behind the opinion i just i thought that was so well worded on your end i just wanted to make sure it was recapped and relived yeah yeah no no doubt about it like going to the source is important because it's a practice in critical thinking and totally. that and that's an aspect that we're really missing right you don't get to the you can't get to critical thinking without going to the source you're getting somebody else's interpretation their critical thinking process into what they believe 
the article meant. And one of the points you made is really important, which is like, if I'm working with collegiate athletes, professional athletes, and I'm saying, here's the underlying principles to why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, that's good and great. But if you're working with 45 year old moms, uh, you know, you really want to understand more of like, okay, what are the underlying principles he's talking about? What is the source of what, where he's coming from with this? And then taking that source, you can, uh, you can either apply it or get rid of it, you know, in your demographic, depending on what it is. And that, that brings up uh, another important point. The specificity of research, right, is so pinpointed. Like in, in for example, like they're going to look at one particular variable that they make an assumption about in a in a primary research article. So if I want to look at a vertical jump as an output of power, right, then that's what you're looking at. And what is it? It's quantifiable. Right. You can quantify the changes that happen because it's easy. Right. You, you don't have a lot that you have to look at there. Did the person significantly on a statistical um, relevance, were they able to improve to that st uh, statistical relevance in the vertical jump based on A or B? Right. Or the group, the group that wasn't supposed to improve and the group that's supposed to improve because I do X. Well, this is so specific that it omits so many other variables right and one of the things we have to understand when we read research is that we're reading things that are so pinpointed into here's the one thing that made a change that's just not how things work in reality right and we if we look historically uh research is actually philosophy Whoa, so, there's a line. Yeah, yeah, research is actually philosophy. And if we look at the way the West works and the way we function, uh, it's based on Aristotle's thinking models, right? His logic, his models of logic, his laws of thinking. And Descartes later on had really put down the scientific method, had really laid it down, right? And these are philosophers. So really the history of, of research has its root in philosophy. And when we look at that, the, the only way that they could observe the world was through this really microscopic lens of being able to break down something to its smallest component. And that's what I was saying in the beginning. If you look at our anatomy books, what are they full of? The more, you know, like you can go down to all these different layers, but are they connected? Mm -hmm. It's in the book anatomy. no it's just cadaver right there, anatomy there yeah that's what it is yeah. and so so the point that i want to get to here is that it does very little this thinking process does very little for relativity or the language of relationship what's the relationship between the different variables you can't get to for example with that kind of um with that kind of philosophy you can't get to quantum mechanics. You can't get to certain levels of physics. You can't get to what we've observed at in different aspects with that type of a thinking model. You need to get through relativity. You got to get to that level. So 
there's a big difference between looking at research in one aspect to talk about change for your clientele versus looking at a broader array and making connections, which is what I mean by critical thinking. So I have to look at neuroscience. I've got to look at uh, like motor behavior. I got to look at, you know, the physiological adaptations and I've got to make connections and links between these different subjects in order to come up with something that's a more effective for my clients, because those connections are the critical thinking process. Those connections are where you can come up with really solid changes that you can make to your programming that'll have an impact. Mm-hmm. And I want to take a quick pivot on this critical thinking, because I, I think that you're 100% spot on. Like, I think our, our coaches get taught systems, systems sell in a marketing aspect, right? If someone's like, hey, come, and I mean, I'm on the Parisi side of this, right? Like the Parisi training system, like come learn the Parisi training system. We're going to teach you how to train athletes, um, you know, and people are going to trust that it's the right system. And luckily, we've got people like you and, and our advisory board that review a lot of what and Bill Parisi is huge on this. Like, he wants everything reviewed. And I remember serving as a master coach, like we always had to present once a year, original research and application and how it related to the Parisi speed school. Like it was, I think one of the most valuable things I had as a young coach was diving into research, understanding its research methods, which we'll talk about here um, and how applicable it was to our population of developing athletes across some spectrum, right? Like youth development under the age of 12 to adolescence 12 to 16 to 18 and then we'll say like a developed human 18 to 22 years old in college like we had to do this and it was so important but if you're you're a coach right say not you specifically but if you're a coach listening to this and you're like you know where what do I start with that like to critically think to be able to assess self-audit like it's really hard and I'm not going to sit here and say like yeah it's just you just self-awareness and you got the audit and this that and it's like that's that's not that's not a, like it's really hard to do so where does a coach start if they want to improve their ability to critically think is it is it asking like what is there a process you do like when you like look at something and you're like okay first I look at this then I look at this then I look at this and if certain boxes aren't getting checked you're like, okay, now I need to take my thought process one step further. Like, how do you start that critical thinking process? Give some insights for uh, a coach listening to this. That's like, yeah, I, I would love to think better at my job and profession. Yeah. What, uh, how do I start? Yeah. Thinking. Yeah. <laughs> thinking models are, are you, definitely. Yeah, I know. It's a very deep, I think deep right? question. People yeah. are going to be like, well, what do you do? But like what you do isn't necessarily yeah. work for someone else, but just correct, if you could pull correct. back the curtain a little bit on just, you know, a little bit of a, I'll say like a 30,000 to a hundred thousand foot view on just your, I mean, this is probably a good segue into the BS meter, I would think too. Yeah. I think, I think one of the places you start, you know, as, as a coach, right. Is going to be asking questions. Don't be afraid about asking questions, questions, are going to be the the source of what starts to formulate your thinking in the direction you're going to go in what you're studying, what you're trying to support uh, the evolution of your programming with. It's going to, you know, you've got to talk to different people who are doing 
doing things out there and you got to listen to them um, in a way where you're not, and this is hard. This is the hard part of, of what I think really makes a good thinker is in a, in a conversation, put aside your assumptions. Like this was like the way Bruce Lee would have, would have said it, right? It's like, if you go in to learn something new, empty your cup, right? Because if, if your cup is full, you can't put anything new in. You're gonna, it's gonna spill over. So if you're full of opinions, you know, then it's gonna be hard to, to get anything new. Um, if, you really, if you really think that your opinions are facts, that also makes your thinking rigid. It means there's no room for growth in your, in your thinking process. So getting to a point where you can kind of put the ego aside and just listen and take the, the, the nuggets that you hear in what somebody's saying and then investigate those a little bit further. And what it should do is it should change your perspective a little bit or be able to give more support to what you already have as a perspective and be able to give you more confidence when you have when you have more evidence to suggest what you're doing is is going to be helpful or you understand an underlying concept and you can maneuver how you apply that concept to help the individual you become very confident in what you're doing and that comes off of you as well and you're your athletes or your clientele, they can improve based on the fact that they believe in you, you know, at that point, because you're really working your, your butt off to figure out what is going to be the most useful thing I can do for these people. Um, that's kind of getting, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting away from the uh, original question here a little bit. No, but. but I think it's just important just to because it's the start of the process, right? Like if you're listening to this, mm -hmm. you're going to have to develop your own process, how you assess, interpret, evaluate, you know, how you ask questions, what questions apply to you and your, like it's, it's, I asked Seth a harder question, I think, than people maybe realize because it's so, it's so individual specific, but it's important to hear from a guy like Seth, like one affirmation, like you should ask questions, right? The cliche of like every, if you're an athlete, like you should ask your coach why I'm doing this and why, like, if you're a coach, like you should ask why, or like some out, someone's mm -hmm. outcome matters, right? Like that's, that's fair. And even if you're not like, obviously not messaging the author, I'm sure in today's world, you could, but like, you know, it's, it's just a healthy discussion, hopefully with colleagues, peers, mentors you have is to be like, Hey, you know, I read this research article on, remember, this is like three years ago. This was a really big one that came out it was like the weighted um, like 80% plus load on a sled, uh, improving performance for or improving sprint performance. Specifically, I think it was like acceleration. And it was like so polar opposite of, of the philosophy that I had learned being like, well, you know, like, why would you ever slow an athlete down that much? Like that doesn't make any sense. And this, that, and the other thing. And when you went and dove into the research study, it, it you just could like, just looking at the, the methods in the population, like the outcomes were true, but it was with fully developed adults. Uh, I think it was with graduate students, maybe um, in a research lab, you know, that had an athletic background and they had prerequisite strength. So if you just read the, the title and the 
conclusion, and even if you dove into the abstract a little bit, like you would miss that there's all these prerequisites that should apply. So if I'm a sports performance coach that works with 12 year olds, I'm over there strapping 80% of this 12 year old's body weight to him and hoping that he can run fast. It's going to improve because I read a research study that validates what I said. It, it doesn't, right? Like it, it, it's missing. I remember yeah. having this discussion with um, other coaches in the network being like, just be, you know, just because you read a research article, just like if you just like you attend a certification, like it does not mean you get the license or the keys to the car to go do it at will with someone just because a research article says it's going to work. That it doesn't work like that. So I, I, I think that it was a really good introduction to critical thinking, right? Just this idea of asking why and how it applies um, seems obvious, but the obvious never is really that obvious I find in today's world. So right. Very yeah, yeah. Once you <laughs> once you start diving down the, the rabbit hole, uh, you learn that the superficial observations that we can make are rarely true, mm-hmm. right? And um, you you start to understand a little bit more about the underlying mechanisms of what need to occur, and you can you can have a different starting point for different people. Yeah, it's absolutely. not all, there's no there's no one way. Right. And there's also, there are also other, there are going to be multiple methods that are true. Right. It's in meaning like you can see a positive outcome using two or three or four different methods on different, on on the same like type of group of people. So if I had 12 to 15 year old athletes and I had three or four groups of them, and I did something different in each of those groups. And my measurement at the end of that study was 10 yard acceleration and long jump. I could see a significant improvement in all four groups. And I did four different things. So this is where, this is where I think the idea of like Aristotle's thinking is, is if a statement is true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. There's, there is no gray area. There's no room for gray area. You have to exclude anything that even rises the question that it might not be true, then it's false. And that's too black and white. It's too black and white. The other thing about critical thinking, though, just to go back to that, is like asking questions doesn't have a starting place. It's not like, you know, you have to ask the right question. No, you just need to start asking questions. Like they don't have to be, they don't have to be any, at any particular level. They just have to start doing it. Um, And then reading, reading should start to influence your thinking in that you're asking more questions, right? It's that constant inquiry that allows you to keep evolving. Um, But I think before you even get to the question, the first thing you need doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing. You need a desire to do it. If you don't have a desire to to, to know, you're not gonna it's you're not gonna, gonna go down that yeah, path. Yeah, it's never gonna work. You're not. You're just not. So either you want you have to you have to come to to the point where you're like, this is what I want to do. There are no questions about it. This is what I'm gonna do. And when you get to that point, when you have that level of desire moving forward, failure, those types of concepts, 
they have a different, you have a different perspective on them. I don't like those types of thoughts don't even cross your mind because failures are just opportunities. They're just like, they're, they're an opportunity to reflect and learn. It's another data And then point. you can evolve. It's another data yeah, point. You got absolutely. You, yeah. And if you, if you're really adamant about knowing something, then, you know, the more frustration you run into in the process, the better, because the, the stronger the learning is going to be. So actually, if you look at like school, the harder you fail on something, the more you're going to learn about. It. Hopefully. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to learn, you're gonna learn more about education. And there's definitely instances where I failed and was like, F this <laughs> on to the next <laughs> one. Yeah, no, it, it, hopefully it sparks a more learning outcome for sure. You want, yeah, well, if you have that desire, yeah. right? If you don't have no, if you don't care, then it's, yeah, it's a useless endeavor. Yeah, it goes back to your right? first point, for sure, for sure. Right. But if you have that desire to know, then you're going to, you're going to do it. Yeah. You're going to find a way. It, Seth, you, you, we, we've danced around it a few times here in this conversation. Like we're starting to go down that, that lane on research methods, Right. We've referenced yeah. it a few times. I think you started talking about it and I was like, wait, 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 I want to go rehatch this thing. And then you just kind of talked, we talked a little bit about research methods and what we look for and, and if it's applicable to either the demographic we work with or, and I love what you said, like, you know, the research method may show four different, different ways of doing something. All four received a positive outcome, but because the research article is keying in on one thing, you know, you, you dive into that lane first. But specifically, when it comes to research methods, if you're, you know, if you're a sports performance coach, you've got, you've got your NSCA journal right in front of you, and you're like, okay, you know, squat performance and the vertical jump output, right? Like you're like looking at it, you're like, okay, this is going to be, this is totally like I work with basketball players, like I squat in my program, like this is going to be sweet, like it applies to me, like I'm looking at it, and you start to look and re actually read the article. You're like, okay, this article, this, this research is three pages. Like I totally have the bandwidth for this. Now you're seeing how I read research. I'm like, ooh, 12 pages. Ooh, meta study over how many years? <laughs> ooh, uh, tough one. Um, <laughs> like this guy. Uh, but like what, you know, talk to me a little bit about research methods. What do you like to see? right? Like, what do you look for? Like, if you're reading through it, you're like, oh, this is how you did it. Okay. You know, hmm. or if you're like, oh, this is how you did it. Ooh, like cross that out. Like I'm, I'm, it, it's cute, but doesn't really apply. Like, obviously there's some yeah. serious context behind that, but if, if we could just start the conversation there, I think we'll unearth some nuggets for the listeners. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the things I do when I see a title that I'm attracted to in a research article, um, I take a look at the references right away. So okay. I flip straight to the straight to the back, the references I see, I read what each reference is. So I'm taking a look at the articles that they're going to be uh, expanding on. I'm looking at the concept kind of behind where, where they're coming from. So I take a look at all the, the references. I also, in the references, I'll highlight the ones that I'm going to also study. So like what we said before is you're still reading an opinion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even though there's quantifiable data in there, um, they're still going to go into the conclusions and discussion with some bias. So I'm going to, I'm going to go deeper from that research article and look at the previous research articles that they found useful for the concept 
so that I can get more along the, the thinking line that they're on and see if, if I can kind of sanity check it, right. And say, all right, well, yeah, I think this is, this is good, but I think they left this out, you know? So the references are a big part. Then when I'm looking at uh, the methods, what I'm looking for is the subjects. Um, I want to see how many subjects are, are in there. What's the history on the subjects, right? Where was so this? Big. So yeah, big. the history on the subjects. What's their, what's their training history? What's their age group? How many of them are there in each group? And then you're also going to see in there how many of them didn't complete it because they, they weren't able to stick to what they were supposed to be doing, right, for this research article. The other thing you have to remember during these research articles, like if you're looking at a, a four week, six week, eight week, eight week program, and you're looking at the changes based on the exercise that they wanted to focus on or the program they wanted to focus on, these athletes are going to do stuff outside of there. So you can only control so much of the variables that actually go into the result. So for example, if I'm doing like, I did the, I was part of this study when I was at Springfield College where we did a maximal bench press on one day. And then it was like uh, one week or two weeks later, you went in and did it again and you weren't supposed to train in between. How many, how many 21, 22, 23-year-olds are you going to get to stop lifting weights for two straight weeks because they're part of this study? Right. You're not. They're, they're all going to go do something. So this is going to be, it's going to skew the results. The results can only be based on these quantifiable measurements and you can't account for all this extra stuff outside, which we, we refer to, we can refer to as noise, right? Like you have your, they, they, they're going to tell you in the methods what the major parameter is that they're going to um, test, right? And then they give you how they test it. Like they're going to tell you, we use this level of statistical analysis. We're going to use these devices to measure the outcome. Um, here's the protocol. It's that protocol that I'm saying as well is super important, right? You don't get this in the abstract and you don't get it in the conclusion. You got to go to the, the meat of the, the actual the middle research pages article of the get article. Stuff. Yeah. Right. And you, it's the stuff you don't really want to read because it's just boring, but you, if you can understand those things. And one of the things I did is like, I don't understand much. Like when, when it comes to words and stuff like they have in those research articles, that's another language, mm -hmm. right? So I, I, in the beginning, I had to stop every other word and look the word up. That's okay. You know what it does? It, it improves your understanding of what the sentence means. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got to get like, get getting over, like not knowing what the heck you're reading is fine. Just look the words up and then make the connection. That's your start in critical thinking. You start to learn how to investigate to improve the understanding of what you're, you're looking at. And that's, that's a huge part of the process. So just learning how to learn by using primary research is a good example of how to do that is a, is a great way to start that process. Um, One those thing protocols... Yeah. I just want to jump in here because I, I, you know, I, I come from a business background. My background is in stats and analytics. So I, 
I understood research, how to read research, but moving into the field of sports performance, I didn't understand like exercise science, lingo, terminology, and that, I guess like that sub language in a way. So yeah, I could understand statistical probability and, and whatever, but it didn't, it didn't help me when I was looking at just straight, sometimes like ex phys terms, right? Like just cellular level biology. Like I just was like, this is Greek to me. Right. So one thing that really helped me as a younger sports performance coach, I distinctly remember doing this on Sunday mornings. I would look at one article that caught my, my interest a month. Like I'd go through the, um, the smaller, like sports, like sports strength conditioning journals, not the big thick blue ones from the NSCA, but like the, the nice color copies that were tending like a little shorter. They were a little easier to read. I picked one that would fit my, my interest. And I, every week for an hour, I remember doing this on Sunday morning, I would just set a timer and I would just dive into it. And I'd either look up the words. And a lot of times I'd have to spend the first three weeks doing exactly what you just said, like translating what it was, little post-it notes everywhere. And what it did was help me understand the industry better, research better. And then from there, I could have conversations with, and I would distinctly remember doing this with Steve Leo, just having conversations and being like, hey, what do you think about this? You know, or, or I was reading about such and such a process. Like, have you ever tried that? Have you done, have you seen it? You know, and, and this is where I think for younger sports performance coaches, like it can, research can further your education, but it can also help further your career because it's going to give you good talking points. It's going to help you unearth terminology that is going to set you apart in the next job interview. And it's also, you're just going to be able to have better conversations with industry colleagues and peers because like they have the practice, the, the non-theory side, right? Like a research article is great, super controlled, as controlled as we can get. But then all of a sudden you talk to someone who's been in the trenches coaching your population and they're like, that's definitely true. I, you know, I've used that a few times, but given either the population, the size of the group, like the actual practicality of coaching, like that's, that, that's where the two worlds meet. And that's where just understanding the research, but being able to bounce those ideas off of a colleague and mentor in the profession is the other side of it. So I share that story only as a, a I think maybe a practical approach to, you know, like Seth would probably tell you that he reads research almost daily, but like for a, a younger professional who maybe isn't interested in it as much or wants to start going with it, like set a timer for an hour on a Sunday morning, pour yourself a cup of coffee, dive into one article a month. At the end of the year, you've read 12 related articles on your profession and all the subsequent education from there, it gets, it's arguably better than what your undergraduate degree could give you. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, you're, do, you're doing it on your own. It's huge. And when you can do it on your own, if you, if you learn how to learn, while you, you take yourself through that process, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to differentiate yourself from the rest of the, the field. And, and you're going to put yourself- a great way to do it. You know, this is a great yeah. way to do it. Yeah. You put yourself in a position where you can do what you're doing now or what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is the evolution of like a career. And if you want your career to evolve, this is, this is really a necessary step. It's, it really is. It's, 
And you, it might not be something like that you enjoy doing at first, but it'll become something that you will enjoy doing because you're going to notice in your conversations with clientele, you're going to notice in your conversations with other professionals in the field that all of a sudden you really have something to bring to the table. You have, you have a new way of, of thinking. You have a new perspective on the problem because you have this information. Now, one of the things I like to do with that information is actually see it right here. Like, so I have a note card with a research study written on it. And on, on the back, I, I write the participants, the design, the results. And I just put them on the back of the note card. So I take a full article and I make it into one note card. The other thing I try to do is say, okay, from this article, after I've read it word for word, maybe even gone down the rabbit hole and looked at some of their references, I try to make one statement. What's the take-home message? And if you can start distilling it down to these levels where one, you've got the entire article on a note card. You know, I, I don't really, if, if I determine the article not to be worthy, I'm not going to do this, but if for a good article, I'm going to put it into that. Then when you're talking about the subject, like you can just back up what, what you want to do referencing this information and you need a logical way to put it into practice. That's the next step, right? Like one is the information in the article. Two is how do you make it real? Yeah. How do you make it tangible? What, what's, what's that process? Like you're taking something from paper to reality. That's, that's another skill in itself. Involving I think we talked about that, right? Multiple human beings. Yeah, like yeah. you just, I mean, if going from a research study in a lab, a controlled environment, and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, I have five 14 year olds mm -hmm. and I'm hoping that I can, you know, and I think that's for, for coaches, you know, I think research on a surface level can validate your, your coaching practices, right? Like the exercise selection you choose, the implements that are you're, you're doing, um, and it can move the needle in the right direction on the outcomes for your clients. But it's important to understand that the, the, the client is the ultimate variable, right? Just like in any research study, like you're saying, Seth, like how many people dropped out? You know, like who, who is the, like the, the people do like, we don't know like how hard they actually tried during the, the control process. Like there's so many things that we don't know and we have to be okay with that as sports performance coaches that just because a study showed this result, you might do the same or similar type thing with our clients in real life and not achieve that result at all. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It just means that it didn't work in this instance. And that's part of science. And it's just a reflection point and you move on from there. Yeah. If it's, if it's true in the context of the study, it does not mean it's going to be true when you put it into application. I, facts <laughs> and that's facts. yes that, that's and that's because we we reduce the variables down to what we can measure and we don't have much if we look at it it's such a small percentage of what's going on that we can measure 
I'm not saying primary research is not valid or there's not, it's not important. It is important, but we also have to come at it from the perspective that we are limited in our ability to observe. And we talked about it in the beginning, our ability to observe is improving, right? And we're, that's why it's important to, to keep up with stuff. I've also noticed like in college, when I was in college and grad school, when you had to do like, you had to um, evaluate primary research and you had to use primary research to validate what you were doing. One of the issues I found with it is you could only go back X number of years. And then the research study was considered like not valid. And that's a huge mistake in my opinion, because there are absolute gems in the older research oh, absolutely. that you would have never seen if, if you didn't go back. I remember distinctly having a situation down in Florida where um, Pete Bomarito gave like a talk at an NSCA sponsored event. And I looked at his references and I saw this one article, Intermuscular Coordination in a Sprint Push-Off. I believe it was 1992 in the Netherlands that that one was done. And I was like, well, I never heard of the article, never seen the article because it was too old at the time. Like I was doing my, my uh, like independent study. So I couldn't even look at something like that yet. I honestly, that article, it took me, like you said, it took 30 days for me to decipher the language in this article. Um, but once I kind of got a grip on what it was actually saying, it changed everything for me, like on understanding a lot of the underlying mechanisms that are occurring in the body during acceleration, during that second step of acceleration. The article study was actually done with um, 100 meter sprinters who run a 10.5 or better. Um, Fast and they, they fast, very fast people. So it was like, okay, well, you're getting a good, good idea here on the forces that they're able to generate. They, in the Netherlands, they were able to put like force transducers embedded into the Achilles, like tendon and the soleus. So we can't do that kind of stuff here, you know, where, where they were invasive on how they measured some of the things that were going on. And that's something you want to you want to look at too in the research in Europe, they're able to do a lot of that stuff. So when you're looking at research and you see where it's coming from and how they measured things, you can get into some of the, I, I would say better observations of what's going on with, with some of that research. Hmm. That's, I never knew that. I just learned something. Cause I, I, you know, you see where research articles come from, you see the publications and you know, like the country they're from, but that, uh, yeah, I guess the research methods, it sounds like a, a duh moment, but research methods country to country vary dramatically, I would think, right. for sure. Yeah, yeah, they do. So those are, that's where you can get, you can get some really interesting stuff. You can see some pretty invasive uh, Yeah, I would think uh, that methods. anytime you're cutting yeah. someone open to put a, a, a mechanical piece in them for the sake of research, like that's pretty, that's pretty intense <laughs> on the, on the scale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Seth, where, where do people go to find more Seth? I, cause I know we're going to do a part two on this podcast. Like, I feel like we barely just, just smash the tip of the iceberg. Um, but where can people go to get more Seth stuff you're involved with 
Um, and I'll make sure all this again is in the show notes. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great question because I'm, I'm really not like a social media. If you know, you know, this person. Is you find, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. It's, you know, but um, you know, for, for me, I'm always accessible. I'm always open to having discussions about this because I love this stuff. Um, it's like a, a burning desire of mine to just keep attaining knowledge and have conversations. And a lot of times I'm asked questions that help me go in directions I didn't think of before. So if people want to reach out to me, they could, they could always email me as well. I'm, I'm open like, yeah, to be able to, uh, talk with coaches that way and stuff too. Nice. And Seth will be on our sports performance mentorship this spring. Um, I have a feeling that conversation is on programming specifically linear speed programming, but I have a feeling Seth, you and I will do another podcast at some point in the near future. Um, maybe part two of this. Cause I feel like there's so much more to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a lot to talk about. I, I guess you were right in the beginning saying you, you and know, I could go could for probably hours on this. You and I yeah. are chatty. We could go for hours on yeah. this. And I think it's because like you said earlier, it's like, we're so close to the information. Like we're so close to this as our profession, our career, that it's something we're passionate about. So it's an easy conversation to have. Like, it's not, it's not a hard one to pick up, pick up the whole zoom and, and start shooting the breeze with you on, on anything in the industry, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. I know this, this subject matter can be kind of dry. Hopefully we brought some type of life to it a little bit. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I think we brought the practicality to it, you know, like how people can, cause it's, it's an important piece, right? That was the first question. Like how important is, is research in 2022? Like it's important. And here's how you go about looking at it and understanding it. And if you want to be successful in this and have longevity in this career, this is something you really need to start looking at. And do yeah, it. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Seth, thank you so much for joining part one. I mean, that we're going to do a part two and I will, I'll talk to you again soon. Like I think tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good.